0: Welcome to the Luke Messiah Show. Thank you so much for giving me a couple weeks off to celebrate the birth of my third child. Guys, we have a lot that's been going on in Texas. One of the things that's happening is that we have a development filled with tens of thousands of illegals just outside of Houston. We're gonna talk about that. Also the fact that the Texas House didn't even let Republicans vote on eliminating our school property taxes. Greg Bonin, Dade Phelan did that and many other things. And for it, Dade Phelan's getting criticized by Republicans in his own district. The elected Republican leaders in his community are mad. And he's blaming a bunch of other people. Why? Because I guess there's nothing better to do. And oh, by the way, Texas A&M tried to hire another Marxist even after the DEI ban, and they got a little bit of blowback. We're gonna cover that and several other things today. Let's get to the show. I'm gonna start off today by reading just a couple excerpts from a recent op-ed published in Town Hall uh, by Chris Russo, the president of Texans for Strong Borders. He says, the largest illegal alien colonia in the United States is not located in the Rio Grande Valley or outside of El Paso. In fact, it's hundreds of miles from the border in an area controlled by Republican politicians and funded by a mega donor to Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Just north of Houston in a corridor east of I-69 and north of Grand Parkway lies the massive Colony Ridge development divided into several neighborhoods. It contains over 75,000 residents, nearly all illegal aliens, and is currently undergoing a significant expansion, clear-cutting nearby forest land. The development has been specifically marketed to illegal aliens using the trade name Houston Terrenos. Utilizing loans that do not require proof of citizenship and allowing for third world living conditions within the development. It consists of a mix of modern single family homes, mobile homes, and even hastily constructed shacks. What he continues to go on to describe is a development that has been increasingly getting criticized over the last couple of months by immigration activists and by people who support our nation's sovereignty all across the country. Texas is getting recognized by nationwide conservative media outlets, commentators for this development that we have in the state. And often when we talk about national issues, we try to tie them back to what we specifically do in the state. And here's the interesting thing, how some of these state policies end up having these national impacts. This development would not have been able to be built if not had it been for Representative Ernest Bales, who in 2017 actually passed the municipal district, which was used to then build this. The developer, Trey Harris, actually he and his family donated over $900,000 to Governor Greg Abbott in 2021. And now they have this development, this development who is clearly focused on marketing to illegal aliens. And just to show you a couple other just demographic trends that show the type of impact that it has when you literally build a development and say, I'd like to attract as many people who are crossing the southern border as humanly possible. This is the impact of it. Cleveland Independent School District, this is a school district located most closely to this development, over the last decade has had a massive increase, of course, in the number of students that are coming there, but also a major demographic shift. A decade ago, they had 3,693 students in Cleveland ISD and they now have 10,875. What is more remarkable is the fact that a decade ago, they had 40% of their students as Hispanic uh, Hispanic students, 45% white and 12% black. A decade later, the school district is 90% Hispanic. Now I'm Hispanic and uh, actually it's interesting, my dad growing up, he would go to school and every single school year he'd walk in and they'd give him this little piece of paper to fill out. And he could fill out, Hispanic, black, white, Um, and he would take it home. And my grandfather, Laborio Macias, would take it and write a new box on it. And he would say, American. And then he would check that box and he would give it back to my dad and say, take this back to your school. And my dad would say, No, they never let me do this. They're gonna always throw a fit. Let's just check some box. And my grandpa would say, no, we're not gonna check a box. We're American without a prefix or a suffix. And then the principal would have to call my grandpa and he would complain and tell him he had to select one of these boxes and he would refuse to do so. Almost every single year, this is something my dad experienced. And so um, I understand where these demographic numbers come from because we've been collecting them for quite some time at our public schools. The reality is that this development just continues to highlight the fact that the state of Texas is not that serious about the illegal immigration issue. We have an open Border. I don't know how many of y'all had time to listen to some of the Tucker Carlson interviews with the presidential candidates across the country. He went to Iowa, brought in Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, all these individuals who came in and sat down. Ava Asa Hutchinson uh, from Arkansas, who's hardly uh, a presidential candidate, but we'll at least mention his name because he got completely lambasted, roasted, destroyed. It's hard to destroy someone who really hasn't taken off in their political career, but he has, and uh, and he was destroyed. But during those conversations, Tucker Carlson honed in on several of these candidates and said, hey, what is your plan at the southern border? And I will tell you, the only two people on those stages that actually had a plan to solve and secure the southern border were Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. All of the other candidates took the issue unseriously. And one of the things he called... Uh, Mike Pence out for was the fact that he seemed to be more concerned with Ukraine's border than he was with Texas's own border and the interior of the United States of America. Asa Hutchison and Tim Scott specifically refused to say they would send military force. They would actually go down and force the cartels back away from operational control that they have at the border. Now, in Texas, we have it slightly differently. But we still are faced with the reality that Governor Greg Abbott could declare an invasion. And did not. We have the fact that Dade Phelan actually had a chance to create the border security unit, the border protection unit that Matt Schaefer built through HB 20, strongly supported by Texans for Strong Borders and other immigration groups across the state. And that bill died on a technicality, a point of order. They delayed it as long as possible, brought it up last minute, had the Democrats call a point of order. Dade Phelan sided with those Democrats. And we didn't even have a vote on the Texas House floor on whether or not to vote for the border protection unit. A month before Dade Phelan was at a breakfast, maybe two months before, he's at a breakfast that I was at, and he was saying, we've got transformational legislation planned that's actually going to challenge the constitutionality of whether or not Texas can secure its own border. Man, that sounds great. Thank you, Speaker Phelan, for coming up with a great idea to constitutionally challenge Texas's own ability to secure our own border. And guess what? No vote ever took place. See, you can say that, but then you actually have to support the legislation and tell your leadership, this is something we're gonna do. And instead they played the game, they delayed as long as possible, let Democrats kill it. And now they're playing the whole, well, we can't, this is out of our control. Sorry, we just ran out of time. An excuse we hear over and over again. No hearings were had on ending in-state tuition for illegal immigrants. We have state funded programs that give more taxpayer benefits to those who are crossing our border illegally, those in our state and our country illegally. So Texas is not taking this issue seriously. And this development in Liberty County, Texas is getting national attention because it is yet again another symptom to the reality that Texas is not serious about securing its own border. So what do we do with it? One of the things Chris Russo, I think, articulated in this piece very well is that it's important to recognize the fact that though we can blame Joe Biden, this development is built in a red county with a red state representative and a state senator who had to pass a bill in a red legislature with a donor who gives, literally, he's giving over a million dollars to a bunch of Republicans And there's no doubt that it's gonna be incredibly hard to actually address the issue of illegal immigration both in our state and at the Southern border if we keep creating these financial incentives for our own Republican donors to continue the status quo. Guys, the Texas House not only failed to pass the Border Protection Unit, but also during the special session that was had, we passed a property tax reform and relief package. And during the debate, Brian Harrison, Tony Tinderholt, Nate Schatzlein, uh, Matt Schaefer, several other conservative members put forth an amendment authored primarily by Brian Harrison to actually, in part of the debate that we were having on property tax relief, say we would like to put Texas on a pathway to zero. We'd like to actually put us in a way, put us on a path to where we could eliminate your school property taxes. The school property tax portion of your property tax bill could be gone in eight to 10 years if you had enough politicians with the resolve, or at least the political will, maybe the pressure that was put on them to deliver that, they could do it in eight to 10 years. But Dade Phelan and Greg Bonin, and Greg Bonin is the chairman of appropriations, did not want the legislature to vote on that policy. Understand, it's not just that they oppose the policy, they did not want the legislature to vote on the policy. And so a point of order was called, not by one of the Democrats this time, but by Chairman Greg Bonin himself, who then went up and asked the parliamentarian and the Speaker to agree with him that Texans shouldn't even get the legislative vote on whether or not property taxes are eliminated. The property tax relief plan that passed, just to give you a general overview, because I've gotten a lot of questions that have come in since they agreed, is going to apply a portion of the total which is about $13 billion of new relief. Remember, they had over a $30 billion surplus that they started the session with. Over $30 billion, they could have, this is why they could have put a major chunk, they could have eliminated Robin Hood if they wanted to. They could have taken close to half of your property tax bills with school property taxes completely away. But instead, they grew government on a ton of levels, spent most of the money on more government, pocketed some of it, some of it they've just put aside to have for future legislative sessions, and they've given $13 billion back of the over $30 billion that they over-collected in taxes from Texans. That $13 billion is going to be split between two sections. About $3 billion of it is actually gonna go towards an increase in the homestead exemption. So that takes your homestead exemption from 40,000 on a state level to $100,000 at a a state level of what they'll buy down. The reason I say state level is because some of your counties have a homestead exemption on top of the state exemption. Your cities could have a homestead exemption on top, which would affect other portions of your property tax bill. But the state can affect the school property tax. So they can come in and say, hey, we're going to give you a $100,000 homestead exemption when it comes to what we're going to levy, which means that if your home is worth $200,000 on the tax rolls, then you're only going to be taxed at $100,000. If your home went up $80,000 in appraised value, this will eat away a portion of that because you're going to go from forty dollars to now $100,000, so $60,000 of new homestead exemption. On top of the homestead exemption, they are going to have what we call m compression, which is what Texas Public Policy Foundation, Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, Don Huff finds, other conservatives leading on these issues have said they would highly prioritize over any and all forms of property tax relief. And what that does, it's an across-the-board pushdown. It's basically a, a check that we write to the school districts that then is spread across and is intentionally lowering what you are taxed on. So essentially, if they write a big enough check, then you don't pay your property taxes. So over time, what we've done with m compression, okay? because that's kind of a term that I think goes over most people's heads. just not one that is in most people's vernacular when it comes to property tax policy. But think of it this way. Every time we compress with any amount of money, it almost becomes the new ceiling. Okay. And so every single session we fight for more and more compression because we have yet to see since the legislature started using compression as a tool. We've yet to see them pull back, which means next session they have to fund the compression they did last session, the session before, the session before. So anything new we we are able to generate and put applying of pressure for them to produce creates this new ceiling. And this is how you get Texas on an actual pathway. Unfortunately, the current appropriators still take most of the money they get. And they grow government with it. So this is just something for you to be aware of it. If you're not following along with Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, with the Huffines Liberty Foundation, these are organizations that are leading on the forefront of property tax elimination that you should continue to engage with. Now, that action by Dade Phelan and Greg Bonin just, again, is yet another symptom of the broader disease in the Texas House of Representatives. And it is why dade Phelan was recently censured by the Orange County GOP. And for those of you who do not know dade Phelan's district, there are three counties in it. Jefferson, Orange, and Jasper. Three counties. Now, while Jefferson is the largest county in his district, he only has a portion of Jefferson County. That's what's in Beaumont. But Orange County is the largest voting county in his district. So a greater percentage of the vote for his re-election comes out of Orange County than the other two and the Orange County Republican Party censured him. Not conservative activists, not a conservative club, the Orange County Republican Party. You need over two-thirds of the vote. I think it's 60% or two-thirds that you need of the precinct chairs to vote to actually censure any politician, any elected official. And the vast majority of the Orange County Republican precinct chairs, who are also elected, by the way, by Orange County voters, voted to censure Dade Phelan. This censure will now go on to the Republican Party of Texas and can be taken up by the State Republican Executive Committee. But we talked on this show a couple months back about how unpopular Dade Phelan has become in his own district. Remember, in January, the Defend Texas Liberty PAC polled Dade Phelan's district. And six out of 10 voters liked Dade Phelan at the time. And one out of 10 voters didn't really like Dade Phelan at the time. And 40% of his voters said they would vote to reelect him tomorrow. And thirty-five percent said we're not sure. We'd probably vote for somebody else. We'd be open to somebody more conservative. The rest said they were undecided. These numbers are honestly like nothing to be surprised about. As the speaker, you could have sixty percent approval rating. His hard reelect is what we call like, would you vote for him tomorrow? Wasn't that great, but it wasn't bad. In May, following the impeachment of Ken Paxton and following a pretty a session where the Texas House killed. Well over 50 conservative bills. I mean, we have, just a couple episodes ago, you can go there. I listed just 48 of them on my podcast, but there's a bunch of others out there. Tons of conservative policy the Texas House kills. Dade Phelan goes from 60% of his district thinking he's doing a good job to 35% of his district thinking he's doing a good job. He goes from 10% of his district not liking the job he's doing to 29% of the district not liking the job he's doing. He goes from 40% saying they'd reelect him tomorrow down to 24% saying they would reelect him tomorrow. So Dade Phelan has a major problem in his own backyard. And the Orange County GOP has stepped up and said, you know what, we're going to censure him. And by the way, this is a term that, again, if you're not super active in the Republican Party, you might not know what that means. But the censure is a specific term that's in the Republican Party platform. And once that goes into effect, the Republican Party of Orange County cannot spend any money promoting Dade Phelan. In fact, they can spend money in the Orange County GOP actually campaigning against the reelection of Dade Phelan. That's how consequential the decision of the precinct chairs was. Now we're gonna talk about Dade Phelan's reaction to that as soon as we come back. Do you wanna get paid to make a difference? Gen Z is now in Congress, and if you're between the ages of 18 and 25, you may not necessarily want to be in Congress, but if you still want to fight for the future, we have the opportunity for you. Texas Scorecard is Texans' leading news source for citizens, and we're looking for young fighters to join our fellowship program. Texas Scorecard offers a paid internship for spring, summer, and fall semesters, allowing participants to get their feet wet in the media business. Fellows can apply for one of three tracks, writing, research, and administration think you have what it takes? Bells often leave the program with the opportunity to continue the work full-time. So after the Orange County GOP decides they're done with Dade feeling. they're ready to not only not support his re-election, but they're willing to oppose him in his re-election, here is his reaction. I think this is Really a remarkable statement. He said, tonight's tonight's action was nothing more than an orchestrated effort to undermine a speaker and state representative who has refused to bend to the will of West Texas billionaires seeking to control House District 21. Truly remarkable. The guy is really losing his mind, which I would lose my mind if 75% of my district had basically given up on supporting me. It says they are coming against House District 21, the House Chamber, and our state party. Oh, by the way, the state party that also opposes Dade Phelan. It should be noted that as 14 individuals worked to pass this resolution in a county of over 80,000 Texans, Dade Phelan was in Austin ushering in an $18 billion property tax cut over the finish line in order to deliver the largest property tax cut in state history on behalf of his constituents. I need to dissect this statement just for a second. First of all, they criticized the fact that 14 individuals worked to pass this resolution, most of them duly elected precinct chairs elected by Republicans in their precinct in a county of over 80,000 Texans. Now, by the way, this isn't the same standard they applied to the impeachment of Ken Paxton. So don't, don't push them on the fact that like a handful of state representatives for months had a secret investigation and then 72 hours before sprung an impeachment on the rest of the duly elected legislature. By the way, did you know we only have 150 state representatives in the state of over 30 million Texans? Oh, by the way, when the Texans voted, they kept Ken Paxton. They kept him by a 10% margin. And that ticked off Texans for Lawsuit Reform, Dade Field and a bunch of these other people who then said, let's overturn an election. So these guys who just pushed an overturning of the election of the attorney general are now saying, hey, don't let these elected precinct chairmen just decide if I'm not in line with the Republican Party who they are elected to lead. He then goes on to just throw in a little lie. We, I was busy passing an $18 billion property tax cut which is the largest in Texas history. It's not an $18 billion property tax cut. We've talked about this on the show. I don't need to go over it again, but it's a $13 billion property tax cut with $5 billion being old relief that they're just continuing to fund, but that's okay. Once you're trying to cover for your liberal record, it doesn't surprise me that these are the type of things that you're throwing in. Dade Phelan, this is his reaction. This is his reaction to getting called out by Republicans in his own district. All he can do is point the finger outside, figure out how to obfuscate, figure out how to cover, and start making up excuses, excuses that he hasn't even held himself to. The last thing I want to cover is diversity, equity, inclusion at Texas A&M University. We had a conversation with Scott Yenner where we talked about the fact that Texas A&M had more DEI officers on their campus than the University of Texas at Austin. And a lot of other people talked about this thing. Texas Scorecard wrote about it. We talked about it on the podcast. National got national coverage. And ultimately, I think, was one of the things that helped push the DEI ban. Now, I want to remind you that when that DEI ban went through the Texas House, they tried to gut it in two significant ways. One, they tried to not have it apply for a while. And then Two, well, first, they actually tried to have it not really be a DEI ban at all. So first, they gutted it and said, basically, you can teach DEI as long as, you know, we don't call it really DEI. And then the second thing they did was that they said, uh, anybody who's here that's teaching DEI, they're going to get a job offer. And it's going to pay them the same amount as they're currently making doing something else on our university. And Brandon Creighton and Dan Patrick, and the Republican Party of Texas, a lot of other conservatives stood up. Texas Scorecard wrote about it. Yenner actually published a piece in Texas Scorecard. They got tons of traction all across the country. Chris Rufo was talking about this. And they said, hey, we don't want these people on our university campuses. So the Senate stood strong, and they forced that language out. They said, hey, we're not offering these people jobs, but we will just write them a letter of recommendation. Okay, which again, I wish we weren't. I wanted wanted the language to say, we'll only write them a letter of recommendation if they're applying for a job outside of Texas, Uh, which was really necessary. If you will leave our state, we will recommend you for another job. You wanna go to Seattle, indoctrinate their kids with Marxist ideas. Here's the irony. I remember having these conversations with all of you when it happened. And then in June, Texas A&M's journal, they wanna revitalize their journalism school and they go to the University of Texas at Austin and offer a job to the Marxist DEI journalist that's running their school. And I'm just gonna read a couple excerpts from Texas Scorecard's piece. During her time there, this is uh, this is Kathleen McElroy. She was a New York Times senior editor, DEI proponent. During her time at the University of Texas at Austin, she was part of the Council for Racial and Ethnic Equity and Diversity. In an op-ed, she wrote, she I mean, th- this lady in an op ed, she said she advocated for diversity measures and keeping track of faculty demographics to make the university more welcoming to those who are not cisgender straight white men. And if I read everything else this lady did, you'd think it was insane. So, this is the lady currently teaching journalism at the University of Texas at Austin, offered a job at Texas AM University. Texas scorecard wrote about it, and a month later, after a whole lot of people reached out to the university. And by the way, if you're an alumni of these universities, you need to take action. One of the reasons that you should be following the scorecard, and then you should be actually taking action on it. We talk about uh, ways, I did this just two weeks ago. I said, here's some things you can be doing during the interim, going to your Republican clubs, gaining more track, building out a network that you can get to vote in the Republican primaries and doing other things like that. Here's the truth, something we often don't remember is that you have an effect on the institutions that you've come from. So if you're an A&M alumni and you're reaching back out and constantly asking questions about decisions they're making, you can have an impact. Because you know what happened a month later? Kathleen didn't take the job. And why she didn't take the job is truly remarkable and also worth talking about. Because if you remember, Dan Patrick a couple of years ago came out and said, I want to get rid of tenure in Texas. One, of, I, I think he maybe is the first statewide elected official to ever call for that. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen anyone else ever do it. And he did it because all of these professors were coming out saying, we don't care if you try to get rid of CRT. We don't care if you try to get rid of DEI. We're going to do whatever we want. And he said, I want to challenge that. Now, the Texas House supports tenure. So they ended up passing a bill that like slightly changes the way tenure is done and executed. But it keeps tenure in place. Here's the interesting thing. Here's what we've now learned. Kathleen was offered a professoring job at a and that was a tenured position. And what happened between the initial job offer and Texas Scorecards writing and a whole lot of you and others reaching out to a and is that she was then offered a job that's like every other job in America. We're offering you this job. And in a year, we'll review your performance. And if you do well, then we might offer you a job again. Now that was not okay for her because the truth is she was probably planning on coming in. She had a lot of leftist ideas she was going to be pushing. And what if any of those got out and then the regents didn't want to rehire her? You see, the lack of tenure actually changes the way someone conducts themselves. And that's what Dan Patrick's trying to go after. So this situation. She has withdrawn herself from consideration. She's going to stay at the University of Texas, which is probably better for her because UT, even though those regents by the way, just a reminder, are appointed by Governor Abbott. They could keep anybody. They can fire anybody not tenured to that university, but they're probably not. She probably feels a lot safer there. So she's going to stay there. She's not going to move over to Texas A&M, but this is a huge win. And also something that you should recognize as why we are engaged on these battles of DEI and tenure and other things like that. I'm going to have to go here in just a minute guys. Actually, I am going to be on a documentary that Texas Scorecard is working on right now talking about the genesis of warehouse leadership has come from. We have a overly influenced process where the Democrats get to somewhat control the Texas House of Representatives. I've talked about this, but Michael Sullivan just walked in. He is working on a documentary at Texas Scorecard, one that's focusing on why Democrats have so much influence in the Texas House of Representatives. Keep your eyes out and I will let you know when this documentary is available. Of course, you can stay tuned with Texas Scorecard, the Texas Minute, everything else we're producing to also be kept in the loop as of the timing of this. But in closing, thank you for letting me come back to you. Thank you for engaging with the show. Honestly, it was very encouraging, even for the couple weeks that I took off and did some pre-recorded shows. Those numbers were still really high on the downloads. And I know people who emailed back our list and shared it with their friends. And so thank you for engaging, even while I took a little bit of time off. I, I've i been looking at everything coming out. And even today on today's show, I feel like I covered 1 20th of what happened over the last couple of weeks because there's so many things going on and it's not going to stop. So I'm looking forward to continuing to come back to you on a regular basis. May God bless you. And may God bless Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.